Hello there, and welcome to the Audio Epics podcast for the premiere of the ninth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay. This time we have three chapters up and ready for you. The Head, The Fall, and The Ceremony. What those are all about you will find out while listening. Thank you so much for your likes, comments and shares, and for your reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. After this episode, there will be three more, and after that, well, we hope to release many more stories in the world of Ruda, as well as the Infinite Woods and other settings. We mentioned two interesting pages last week. If you haven't checked out Silver Compass maps yet, make sure to look for them online. We have their Patreon and Instagram link in the description. Also, if you can't get enough of the fantasy genre, check out Mike Soldano's novels. We turn out to have a lot in common. Our goals and interests, our age, and even the year and month we got married. It's creepy, really. The link tree of At The Writing Mage is in the description. If you want to support us to create more stories at a faster pace, make sure to visit us on Patreon. Even the smallest amount can help us to pay for software, sound effects and music, and as a Patreon, you can make suggestions about which improvements you think we should make as well. That is patreon.com slash audioepics. Tiers start from $1 a month on, and many include merchandise. From the $10 tier or Witch Hunter Master tier onward, you get the full download of the extended edition of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay. That exclusive version is almost an hour longer than this one. Don't forget to subscribe and get notified of new content. If you hear the ring of that bell, it means you're all set and you'll know whenever there's been a new upload. With only a couple of episodes ahead, our friends must be getting closer to the treasure, so I won't keep you waiting any longer. I hope you'll enjoy this ninth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay. The Head There was a sense of foreboding in Ludlow's heart as they ascended up the stairs. This time, he was in front, with Chapelle and Alvarado right behind him, followed by Blessed Seelenheim, Federhel, Gustav, and finally, Master von Baumeister. The winding stairwell was fairly wide, but also very steep, hewn directly into massive dark rock, only occasionally propped up with some additional stonework. Ludlov's heart jumped when he thought he saw a person standing in a niche in the right wall a little further up. He immediately held still. What is it? asked Chapelle. Ludlov didn't answer, but instead climbed a few steps further up ahead. Then the torchlight revealed it. The niche was occupied by a mummified corpse standing straight up. It was a soldier of some sort wearing a golden collar and a male skirt. It carried a strange weapon that was entirely unknown to Ludlow, a kind of quarterstaff, which it held with both hands. But both sides of the staff ended in wide serrated blades of jade. The soldier's gold-colored helm had feathers carved into the sides, and his nose was protected by a protrusion shaped like an eagle's beak. The corpse itself was utterly desiccated. Nothing more than bone, sinew, and the greyish remains of its skin. The eye sockets were empty. 
So this is what an ancient Matbatanian soldier looked like, Ludlow said. They seem to have been a fearsome people. That they were, said Blessed Zelenheim. Driven by fear of Kumaru, they instilled fear in all others. Ludlow regarded the silent warrior, thinking he had once been a man, a mother's son, a woman's husband, a child's father. And now he looked more like a supernatural monster than anything human. The thought that he himself might end up like that someday suddenly horrified him. The priestess was right. These Matbatanians had been a frightening people indeed. This armor looks valuable, Turmgard said. Maybe it's part of the treasure already. Turmgard, if there is one thing my travels have taught me, it's this. You never take anything from a dead person, Gustav warned. Why? He's not going to miss it, Turmgard said with a shrug. For now, we move on, came von Baumeister's stern voice from somewhere lower on the staircase. We will not be distracted. The treasure is above us, I'm certain of it. Rudlov regarded the mummified soldier one last time before continuing his ascent. A little further up ahead, they came across another mummy. This one carried two broad scimitars, seemingly made out of gold, and he wore the skull of some monstrous beast for a helmet. Red feathers, somewhat dulled with age, adorned it. As Ludlov expected, they came across more and more of the mummified warriors as they continued up the stairs, which seemed to be going on forever. Some wore cloaks and shoulder pads, or even plated armor over their chests. Others only had collars of gold or jade to protect their torsos. Their weapons differed widely as well, from broad-bladed cleavers and round shields to small axes, long spears, and even something that looked like the jawline of some monstrous fish, with a row of razor-sharp teeth. Ludlov had the impression that the figures increased in rank as they came nearer to the top of the staircase. There were two corpses that had large golden crests on their helmets, one of which had several rows of eyes carved into it, each set with a gemstone in the middle. At last, they saw an open doorway at the very top of the stairwell. In a niche a few steps below it stood the final warrior, the most impressive one of all. His teeth had been filed into fangs, the only part of his face visible beneath an ornate jade mask that represented some sort of demonic figure, with an angry snarl, two long horns, and a crest of red feathers between them. He had massive shoulder pads, a red cape, and thick-plated gold-covered armor. In his arms he carried a massive warhammer. The butt-end of the warhammer's head was made to look like a star, with three sharp peaks sticking out. The front of it was carved to represent the same snarling beast that was seen in the helm. Large rubies were set to depict the eyes. This must be worth a fortune, Tomgard gasped as he beheld the weapon. Still, don't touch it, Gustav said. Suddenly, there was a flash of bluish light from beyond the doorway, 
and Ludlov quickly ascended the final steps to see what it was. Tumgard and Gustav were still quarreling while the others passed them by. Ludlov entered into a very large dome-shaped room. There were two huge openings in it, revealing only darkness and pouring rain, occasionally lit up in a flash of lightning. The eyes of Kulmar. It was storming outside. The deathly quiet in this strange room made for an eerie contrast. As Ludlov slowly entered, he noticed a heavy chain which hung from the ceiling into a wide well in the middle of the room. We're inside the head of Kulmaron, Federhel said. Those two windows are his eyes. Ludlov turned to face the doorway from which they had entered. There were six more niches in the wall, three on either side of the doorway each occupied by another mummified soldier. To Ludlov's right was a strange mural painted on the wall in gold and blue. The shapes seemed to be completely abstract. If they had any significance, it was lost on him. In the middle of the mural was placed an incomprehensible clockwork mechanism of several interlocking metal gears, which struck Ludlov as equally puzzling. Chapelle, Alvarado and Federhel were with him in the room. Ludlov looked for the others and saw von Baumeister and the priestess entering through the doorway. Then, he heard a loud cry from the stairwell. What did I tell you? Don't touch anything! It was Gustav's voice. Then Turmgard cried out ah! loudly. Whether in rage or terror, Ludlov could not tell. Before he had any idea what had happened, his attention was drawn away from the stairwell by the sudden movement from the niches in this room. Lightning flashed as all six of the warrior corpses sprang into motion and stepped forward into the room, brandishing their strange weaponry. Watch out! He cried out and reached for his pistol, only to realize he didn't have it anymore. Thanking Gustav sarcastically in his thoughts, he drew his rapier instead. Alvarado and Chappelle did still have their firearms and made ready to shoot. Pistols were slow, however, and these undead creatures didn't waste any time. One of them slashed at von Baumeister with a huge bone cleaver. The witch hunter master managed to pivot out of the way, drew his rapier and slashed the mummified soldier in the leg. Two others approached on Chappelle, who was fast enough to shoot one of them in the head, causing it to fall back but the other was still advancing on her with two golden sickles, one in each hand. Ludlov barreled past her towards the attacker and threw his shoulder into its chest, falling down on top of the creature. His rapier was useless now and clattered to the floor. As the undead creature lay squirming on the floor, he could think of nothing better to do than push his still burning torch into its face. The thing only hissed and croaked, unable to produce another sound. Chappelle stood on its right arm, pinning it to the ground, but it still tried to slash at Ludlow with the other sickle. Fortunately, Alvarado was there in time to slice the arm clean off before the blow hit. With his free hand, Ludlow reached for his dagger, drew it and slit the monster's throat. Grey smoke rose up from the wound and the thing stopped moving altogether. 
the entire corpse, even its weaponry, turned to a black crisp and then dissolved into a pile of ashes. Ludlow stood up and picked up his fallen weapon, standing with the torch in one hand and the rapier in the other. Everyone around him was fighting the undead. Alvarado kicked one in the chest, causing it to fall back into the well. Chappelle was slashed in the face by the dagger of another. Her left cheek bled, but she ignored the wound and repelled the attacker with her torch, simultaneously advancing on it with her rapier. Von Baumeister threw his dagger into the face of an approaching undead and then ducked just in time to avoid the swing of another scimitar. Blessed Zelenheim was slowly backing away against the wall, her hands folded in prayer. Ludlov moved in front of her to defend her against any oncoming enemies. He saw Gustav and Trungard being thrown from the stairwell into the room, falling onto their backs as if there had been some explosion. A moment later, the heavily armored figure with a demon mask entered, swinging his warhammer sideways to make way, then raising it high when he found Gustav, who had only just managed to take off his massive backpack and was lying right next to it. The pudgy shopkeeper still had the agility to roll out of the way of the golden hammer's path, causing it to smash down onto the stone floor. From behind it, Turmgard shot his pistol at the great brute's back, but its heavy armor caught the bullet. The masked warrior ignored the shot and turned its attention to Ludlov and the priestess. When Ludlov saw the enormous warhammer being raised, he realized his flimsy rapier would be of little use against this behemoth. Behind the advancing monster, Federhel had just thrust his blade through the chest of a soldier, causing it to burn up in invisible flames and crumble down in a heap of ashes. The young man then caught the massive masked warrior's cloak and pulled at it to draw its attention. The monster thrust the shaft of his weapon into Federhel's stomach, causing him to bend over in pain and fall back. That sight lit up a flame of anger in Ludlov's heart but he couldn't attempt a straightforward attack until he was out of the way of that warhammer. He waited, watching the enemy swing the massive weapon, just in time to throw himself down onto the ground, roll towards the undead and thrust his torch up into its groin, the only unarmored spot he could find. It wasn't enough to defeat the monster, but it did stagger, allowing Chappelle to attempt a swing at its neck. But the creature turned its head and her blade bounced off against its heavy helm. Then Gustav appeared with his machete, just fast enough to slice the sinews in the back of the massive warrior's legs. It fell to its knees, loosening its grip on the warhammer. Alvarado tugged at the weapon and acquired it. The fallen undead turned towards him in anger, but Alvarado was well out of the way now, so it grabbed Chappelle instead, pulling her hand to its mouth to bite off her fingers with its filed teeth. Chappelle squirmed and tried desperately to escape, but the thing's grip was too strong. Alvarado, carrying the warhammer, climbed on top of the well, raised the weapon high, and smashed it down into its original owner's head. Chappelle just managed to pull her hand free in time as the warhammer broke the undead's masked helm. Alvarado had lost the leverage to lift the warhammer again, and the massive warrior still moved. The shattered remains of its helm tumbled onto the stone floor as it tried to sit upright. It clawed around wildly, looking for something to hurt. Ludlov had had enough. He aimed his rapier carefully and swung it. The blade caught the undead in the mouth and split its face. Ludlov swung again, slitting its throat this time. Then the crumbling and smoking set in, destroying all that was left of the creature. Ludlov wanted to thank his friends, but there was no time. There were still a few enemies left. 
the priestess was being attacked by a smaller, slighter and more agile than It had no armor and wore a feathered headdress. Its weapons were thimbles on each finger from which sprang long curved claws. The thing swung its claws wildly and managed to draw blood from the blessed's arm. As she cried out in pain, Tormgard threw a dagger straight at the attacker's chest. It was planted up to the hilt in the thing's torso and it reeled back, already beginning to smoke and crumble. Tormgard's look of satisfaction quickly faded as one of the last warriors slashed at him from the side. It was the one carrying some creature's jaw as a weapon. Tormgard sprang out of the way, but the undead monster kept advancing and slashed again. This time, the sharp teeth on the weapon landed on the witch hunter's face and blood sprayed out. Von Baumeister shot the creature in the back, causing it to stumble and fall. As Turmgard howled in pain and clasped his face, Alvarado made his way to the attacking monster and finished it with a single blow from the warhelm. Ludlov was surprised to see the weapon hadn't disintegrated like the others. Then he noticed that the last of the undead warriors had chosen him for a target and came at him with an axe, hiding itself behind a round shield. Ludlov jumped onto the well, out of the way of the approaching enemy. As the abomination raised its axe to swing at him, he leaped out of the way, landing behind the creature, turning just in time to kick it into the well. The thing grasped the chain in the middle and avoided falling into the depths, but Chappelle thrust her blade into its throat and killed it. As the creature finally disintegrated, flakes of ash dwindled down into the darkness below. All the undead had been destroyed now and they were alone in this strange room. They discovered several empty sconces on the walls and placed their torches in them to provide lasting light throughout the dark night. Blessed Zelenheim and Gustav were kneeling next to Tormgard, the former laying her hand on his forehead in blessing, the latter searching in his backpack. Tormgard's hand was still in front of his eye, blood seeping through his fingers. You still have your eye? but the skin around it is badly damaged, said Gustav, as he applied bandages to it. How are you? Ludlov asked Chappelle, whose cheek was still bleeding. As if she hadn't realized it, she touched her face and looked at the blood on her fingertips. It's nothing, she said. I think you should have them take a look at it, Ludlov suggested, indicating that he meant Gustav and the priestess. She nodded, but said, Tumgard first. He's in a worse condition, I'm afraid. Ludlov had to agree. The witch hunter was looking very pale, his hair clinging to his head with sweat. You still have that warhammer, Ludlov said to Alvarado, who smiled. Perhaps it didn't get destroyed because I took it before we killed that big masked warrior thing, he said. I think it was the leader of the group. It was the Blood Father, Fedahel said, who was still clutching his stomach. He was the leader of the High Priest's personal guard. Not anymore, Alvarado said. Remember why we are here, initiates, said von Baumeister. The treasure is near. Is there one more trial left? Fedahel wondered aloud. I think so, said Chappelle, pointing to the mural. And I think that is it. Everyone, Tomgard said quietly, his voice subdued by pain. I, I, I'm sorry. 
This attack was my fault. I tried to take something from one of the corpses. That's when they came to life. You blundering fool, von Baumeister sneered. You have jeopardized us all. A wounded eye is too small a price to pay for your stupidity, if you ask me. The harshness of his words and the bitterness of his tone came as a shock, even coming from von Baumeister. Ludlow could tell by the others' faces that they had the same reaction. Turmgard looked like he was fighting back tears. You couldn't know, Turmgard, Blessed Zelenheim said softly. And you fought valiantly. You saved my life, and I thank you. Now the tears escaped from Turmgard's eyes. The salt in his tears seemed to make the pain worse. He nodded in thanks to the priestess, at a loss for words, clearly trying to remain strong. Ludlow approached him and held out his hand. Can you stand? I think so, Tomgard said, allowing Ludlow to help him upright. Von Baumeister had his back towards them, investigating the mural. Federhelm, do you know anything about this imagery? He asked. I don't know what it represents, Master, Federhelm said, sounding distant, almost disinterested. I think something needs to be inserted into the mechanism, Chappelle said. And then some hidden door will open? Alvarado asked. That's how this usually goes, isn't it? Perhaps not this time, Ludlow suggested. That well with the chain, that might be the purpose. You think the chain needs to be raised in order to lift something out of the well? Von Baumeister asked. That might indeed be it. In that case, what we need is a lever. I hope we don't raise any leftover undead. I kicked one down there. It was still intact when it fell. If you died on the way down, it will have turned to ash, Chappelle suggested. If not, you still have your warhammer. Looking at the ornate weapon, Ludov noticed the three spikes at the back of the head. Suddenly, an idea dawned on him. I think the head of that hammer fits nicely into the middle of that mechanism on the wall. You've got to be joking, Alvarado complained. You think this is the lever? Why not? Gustav said. It makes sense to me. Because that means I cannot keep it, Alvarado admitted. Then he sighed. <sighs> Very well, let's try it. He approached the mural and tried to find a way to fit the warhammer into the mechanism. Meanwhile, Blessed Zelenheim was investigating the empty niches. Is there something there, Blessed? Federhel asked. Actually, yes, she said. These may have been burial offerings. I'm not sure, but there are a few objects here that might be of interest. She took out a small rectangular wooden chest. I'm sure this won't be the treasure, she said with a smile. Then she opened it. There was a large, simple key inside. What would that open? She wondered aloud. Chappelle joined her at the niche. She bent down and picked something up. It was a leather arm bracer. Look, she said, and produced a small knife that had been hidden inside of it. Hidden weapons might be useful. I think I'll keep this. 
Alvarado sighed as Chappelle put on the bracer. <sighs> How unfair. You get to keep your bracer, and I have to give up my warhammer. Are you sure of that, Alvarado? Ludlov asked. I am, he said, as the hammer snapped into place in the mechanism. It fit perfectly. Very well, said von Baumeister. Now we turn it. Tomgard, you're strong. Help out. With all due respect, Master, he's still recovering from a serious wound, said the priestess. I'm all right, Tomgard interrupted, and he began to turn the handle. Even in his weakened state, he was still able to do it on his own. At first, nothing happened, but after half a turn, the chain in the well began to move. Everyone turned towards it. Ludlov's heart began to pound. After all this time, all this effort, the treasure was almost theirs for the taking. The Fall When Turmgard became too tired, Alvarado took over, until at last the chain was almost completely lifted and something appeared out of the well. The chain was wrapped around a very large black chest, so big that it only just managed to fit through the well. The chain was held together by a large padlock. Von Baumeister frowned when he saw the chest. He seemed disappointed. Nervously, Ludlov, Alvarado and Gustav worked together to pull the chest down onto the floor next to the well. It felt extremely heavy. How do we unlock this? Ludlov asked when the chest was safely on the ground. Blessed Zelenheim arrived with the key she had found in the rectangular chest. This might help, she said with a smile. It might indeed, Ludlov replied as he took the key. It needed some pushing, but it did fit. With a bit of effort, Ludlov managed to unlock the chain. Together with the others, he removed it from the chest. Here we are, Ludlov said, and he looked at everyone around him. Do you sense anything, Blessed? He asked. She placed her hands on the chest, closed her eyes and eventually nodded slowly. Yes. Yes, I do. Every face was tense, waiting for her next words. There is a spiritual presence, and it is bad. But the chest is not cursed. I think you can open it. But be careful. A bad presence? Gustav repeated anxiously. Not very encouraging. The evil is contained. I can sense that. Don't be afraid to open it, Ludlov. Fearing the evil too much is equally dangerous as fearing it too little. Ludlov took a deep breath and lifted the lid. The chest was filled to the brim with fine white sand. Well, that is disappointing, said Alvarado, and he made his way back to the mechanism on the wall. What are you doing? Ludlov asked. I'm taking back that warhammer, Alvarado grumbled. That way, at least we have something of value to take home. If you take that weapon, it belongs to the Witch Hunter Order, not to you, Initiate. 
von Baumeister said sternly. Rudloff turned his attention back to the chest. There must be more to this, he said. There must be something inside the sand. Before you touch it, let me pray over it first. Blessed Zelenheim intervened. Ludlow moved out of the way, allowing her to place her hands over the sand, close her eyes, and proclaim a litany of protection and blessing in lingua. When she had finished the prayer, she gave Ludlow a solemn nod. Still feeling a little apprehensive, he reached with his hands into the sand, digging for something of value. There is something in here, he said. It could be made of metal. Gustav and Turmgard immediately began to help out to extricate the item from the chest. Working together, they managed to raise from the chest an enormous crown carved out of some sort of clear crystal that reflected even the warm torchlight in a cool bluish hue. A casual observer might have thought it was ice, but not the ice one would find in the ordinary world. Rather it seemed like a frozen sculpture from a realm of dreams. The crown was much too large to fit on any man's head unless he were a giant and it had five spikes, each of which ended in a tip of gold about the size of a Dugarim drinking horn. The crown of Kulmaron, Fedahel gasped. The real one. Is this the treasure then? Ludlow asked, holding one end of the majestic item while Turmgard and Gustav held the other sides. I'm sure it has great value, Chappelle said, although she sounded a bit disappointed. It had unspeakable value for the Matbatanians, Fidel clarified. It was a crown worn by their god. If that is so, why did we find it in a well? Tomgard wondered aloud. I don't think the Matbatanians put it there, said Chappelle. It must have been Sintrasha or her followers. Can you hold this without me? Gustav asked Tomgard, who nodded. I think there must be more in this sand the Flatlander said, and began to rummage around some more in the large chest. Von Baumeister stood with his arms crossed, looking at the crown. Put it down on the floor, he commanded. Ludlow and Turmgard obeyed, carefully placing the item next to the chest. Aha! Gustav cried out. I knew there was more! What did you find? Chappelle asked. A leather tube, he said, lifting the lid of the item. Inside was a rolled-up parchment, which Gustav immediately took out and unrolled. There was no seal on it. It's in Oskorten again, I think, he said, spontaneously handing it over to Federhelm. The young initiate accepted the scroll and translated out loud. Now the choice is yours. The crown can be your treasure, granting riches beyond measure. Wait, it rhymes? Gustav interrupted. I thought you were translating it. That was just a coincidence, Federhel said, slightly annoyed at being interrupted. There's more. Then the Bloodfather will be your brother. Or wield the Bloodfather's weapon to destroy the crown, and Kulmaron will be gone forevermore. 
would that mean? It means that Komaron still has some influence over these islands, Ludlov said. And we have the chance to end it. By destroying this crown. With this warhammer, Alvarado said enthusiastically, approaching with the Bloodfather's weapon. Stop right there, Initiate, von Baumeister exclaimed. Now I will be the first to express some disappointment at this treasure. I had expected a different chest for one. But a treasure is a treasure. That is why we came here, and that is what we will bring home. With all due respect, Master, Federhel said carefully, we are witch hunters, or training to become such. It's not our first duty to fight the demonic. This is the real crown of Kumaron. That means it comes from the realm of an Autark demon, and it is most likely his link to this world. That must be why the Oscortans hid it away. If we do not destroy it, and destroy it soon, I think Komaron may return to rule over all the seas. Do not question my judgment, initiate, von Baumeister hissed. You are not a witch hunter yet. This crown belongs to Seven Peaks. We came with a mandate from the mayor and we will fulfill that. I'm certain that Mayor Schmidt would not want us to take a demonic item into the city, Federhel objected. Be silent, young fool. The priestess has confirmed that the item is not cursed. Blessed Zelenheim raised her arms. I must clarify, she said. It is indeed not cursed. It will not directly bring misfortune on one who touches it. However, it is evil, as beautiful as it may look. I can sense its evil now, many times more powerfully than when it was hidden in the sand. I have no inkling what it might do. But Federhel's theory is entirely plausible. Autark demons are extremely cunning, and Kumaron was surely one of the greater ones. Thank you for your clarification, blessed, von Baumeister said through gritted teeth. But perhaps that is why the goddess has deemed it fit to send a team of witch hunters on this journey, along with yourself, for only we could send back the demon, should he attempt to emerge. Only we can carry the crown safely back to Seven Peaks. And if we bring it back, what then? Federhel asked, raising his voice in a most uncharacteristic way. Will we sell a demonic item to the Paslavanians to restore our economy? Will we hide it somewhere in the vaults? The mayor will decide that, not you, you insignificant worm! Von Baumeister bellowed. Then he drew his pistol and aimed it at the initiate. Now stand down! You are out of line! No, sir! It's you who are out of line, Federhel yelled, his voice trembling with emotion. As a witch hunter, it is your sworn duty to destroy a demonic item such as this. Thunder rumbled outside, as the two men stood opposed to each other, quietly engaged in a battle of stairs. Alvarado slowly made his way to Federhel to stand by his side. I will not hesitate to end your life if you touch that crown, von Baumeister said coldly. Then I beg the goddess to take my soul, Federhel replied. And before Ludlov knew what was happening, he had taken the warhammer from Alvarado and was swinging it down onto the crown. Federhel! Ludlov cried out. But it was too late. The hammer smashed the crown into a thousand tiny pieces that clattered in all directions like the water of a pool 
after a large stone had been thrown into it. The sound was immediately followed by a pistol shot and a cloud of smoke. No! Alvarado screamed. He caught his friend as he fell and laid his hand on his bloody chest. But it was too late. Fedahel was already dead. Lightning flashed as von Baumeister slowly backed down, already reloading his pistol. Rudolf stood nailed to the ground, but he found the strength to raise his voice. You coward! You are unworthy to be a witch hunter. I bear the title of witch hunter master, Initiate, and you will respect your superior, von Baumeister retorted. Federhel was your superior in every way, Alvarado said through his tears. And he was a true witch hunter, Chappelle added. Well, well, von Baumeister said with a grin. Does it look like we have a little mutiny on our hands? No worries. I'm capable of dealing with that. Tomgard, arrest these would-be witch hunters. Tomgard gave Ludlov a stern gaze with his one unbandaged eye and drew his pistol. I'm sorry, he said, still looking straight at Ludlov. It seems you are on your own, master. Then he turned and aimed his pistol at von Baumeister whose grin quickly faded. Ludlow sighed deeply in relief. Then the horror of Federhel's death suddenly dawned on him, and he felt his muscles contract again, this time with rage at the man who had murdered his friend. Von Baumeister looked at the group tensely, torn between fear and pride. In the end, the latter won out. You are all fools. Every last one of you. You have destroyed the mission. And you, Tomgard, you maggot. You have betrayed me personally. I will not let this go unpunished. Not for the first time, Ludlov wished he still had his pistol with him. He would not remain a bystander in this situation. He would have to act quickly, but von Baumeister's firearm needed to be removed first. He slowly, surreptitiously moved to the master's side while his focus was still on Tormgard. The two men stood like statues, aiming their pistols at each other. No one else needs to die here, Blessed Zelenheim said in a quivering voice. Enough blood has been shed. She approached von Baumeister carefully, raising her hands in a gesture of peace. Ludlov also approached more imperceptibly, from the other side. Please, do not turn your weapon on your own people, she pleaded. Federhel's death was his own fault, von Baumeister roared at her. This was Ludlov's opportunity. As quick as a viper, he grasped the barrel of von Baumeister's pistol and pulled it down. In a reflex, the master pulled the trigger, shooting harmlessly at the floor. The priestess jumped out of the way as Ludlov didn't waste another moment and punched von Baumeister in the face, causing him to retreat momentarily. The witch hunter master drew his dagger at an astonishing speed and slashed it at Ludlov's stomach, who only just managed to jump back and avoid it. 
he had no time to draw his own weapon and found himself unarmed, facing an opponent with far superior skills. Von Baumeister thrust again, so quick that all Ludlow could do was raise his arms in defense. The blade cut across his forearm, which began to bleed immediately. Ludlow ducked, considering the desperate move of barreling into the master's stomach. But then, another pistol shot resounded through the room, and Von Baumeister screamed in pain. His dagger clattered to the floor. Looking up, Ludlow saw him holding the bloodied remains of his hand, several fingers missing. He whimpered and slowly backed away in the direction of one of the large windows. The eyes of Kumaron. Tomgard, he grunted. You worthless fool. Lady Hoskiv will hear of this. You will never become a master. I will stand before the Grand General without shame, Master, Tomgard said calmly. I shot you in defense of my friend. I didn't kill anyone. You, on the other hand. I am the highest authority here! Seize this mutiny, or there will be hell to pay! Von Baumeister screamed. He was standing directly in front of the window now, his back turned to it. A little push would suffice. Ludlow caught himself thinking grimly. There is no mutiny, Alvarado called out. You lost your authority when you killed one of your own men for the sake of your pride. And I never liked you anyway, Gustav added. Von Baumeister drew his rapier. Fight me then, he roared, spittle flying out of his mouth. I will peel the skin off of each and every one of you maggots. I am the master. Hand-picked by Lord Adamir to drag you worthless rabble across the world and bring back the treasure. I will never, ever... There was a final gunshot, a cloud of smoke, a spray of blood, and then von Baumeister fell back, lost his balance, and disappeared out of the window. Everyone looked in the direction of the gunshot. It was Chapelle still standing with the pistol aimed at the window, as if her opponent might still come crawling back into the room. Eventually, she lowered the weapon and looked at the stunned faces around her. I always thought it was women who wasted too much time with talking, she said. But you men are worse sometimes. The Ceremony Ludlov and Gustav both ran to the window and tried to look down into the rainy darkness. It was impossible to see anything other than that the ground had to be somewhere very far below. Von Baumeister couldn't possibly still be alive. Just then, there was a massive flash of lightning illuminating the southern half of the island. Rudloff couldn't help but look up. He saw the jungle, the beach, the rocks in the sea, and the Theresia anchored just beyond, right next to another ship. He looked at Gustav. Did you see what I saw? Von Baumeister? Dead? Down there? It was hard to miss, Gustav said. That's not what I meant, Rudloff replied. Then he turned to look at Chapelle. She was standing amidst the shattered remains of the crown, which still shone with a bluish light, 
making it seem as if Chappelle were lifted up somewhere high above the stars themselves. Her earlier confident demeanor had evaporated, however. Her head was bowed, whether in sorrow or in shame, Ludlove couldn't tell. She had holstered her pistol and held her hat in her hands. When he approached, she didn't look up, but she did speak to him. Fidel deserves a proper burial. I agree, Ludlove said, looking towards Blessed Zelenheim. He shall have it, she declared. First we need to find a way out of this bloody place, Tomgard grunted. I've had enough of this whole stinking island. Agreed, and we'll need to make haste, Ludlov said. I've seen something. There is another ship anchored next to the Teresia. Are you sure? Gustav asked. Unless this entire journey has taken its toll on my eyesight, yes. By Wolfen's beard, does the misery never end? Tomgard groaned, his eye clearly still bleeding underneath the now-soaked bandage. Ignoring the witch-hunter's complaints, Ludlov laid his hand on his shoulder. In any case, thank you, Tomgard. You saved my life. Yes, well, that's all right, he stammered, trying to sound as gruff as ever, but failing. Alvarado was kneeling beside Svedahel's corpse. He held the five golden tips of the crown in his hands. They were hollowed out. Apparently, they had fit like thimbles onto the spikes of the crown. Taken separately, they looked like five long, sharp cones of gold. I wonder what we should do with these, he said. Should we bury them, cleanse them, take them along? As he was trying to think of a response, Ludlov's eye suddenly fell on the well again. For the first time, he noticed the small niches at the base of it. Inside each niche was a thick metal spike. The spikes looked like the golden cones would fit onto them exactly. The whole image was extremely familiar to Ludlov. Have you tried inserting them in there? He said, jerking his chin towards the well. Throw them down the well? See, si, amigo. I've thought of that, Alvarado sighed. I'm not sure it's what Federal would have wanted, though. No, no, Ludlov corrected. I mean, inserting them. He walked over and pointed at one of the niches directly. Here. Alvarado's eyes widened. Yet another mechanism. The people who built this place were insane. Ludlov quietly wondered whether it was actually a mechanism or something more arcane than that. The Esclavian made his way to the well and proceeded to fit each of the crown tips onto one of the metal spikes. They were arranged around the well like rays of sunshine or the edges of a star. They never clicked into place and there was nothing else to see that looked metallic. In his mind, Ludlov became convinced there was something more ritualistic to it. Perhaps nothing would happen without the presence of an escorted mage, or... As soon as Alvarado had fitted the last of the cones, there came a deep and disturbing rumble, like an avalanche in the mountains, followed by the crackling and bursting of stone. Then he almost lost his balance as the entire room began to move. Everyone looked shocked. 
What's happening? Is it an earthquake? Gustav cried. No! Alvarado said. Gulmaron is turning his head! The frightful movement stopped as suddenly as it had started. Just when everyone thought it was over, things began to move again. First, the well slid down into the floor. Then, portions of the floor itself began to slide straight down, forming steps. They all ran to the edges of the room where they could safely watch what was happening. Rudolf was able to drag Fedhel's body to safety just in time. But he was unable to grab the warhammer that was being carried down on the newly formed steps. Then, as the dark rainy sky became visible below, Rudolf understood what was happening. Kulmaron was opening his mouth, dropping his jaw onto the stairs on the west side of the temple. The golden warhammer tumbled down the steps, then fell to the side into the dark of the underbrush far below. When the movement stopped, the way was cleared for them to walk out of Kulmaron's mouth. Rudlov looked at Tormgard. You were looking for a way out? The witch hunter nodded thankfully. Alvarado looked in the direction of where the warhammer had disappeared, his eyes reminding Ludlov of a child who had just lost his toy. Then he shook his head and offered Ludlov to help him carry Federhel with a gesture. Will you take the golden cones, Chapelle? Ludlov asked. Why, Ludlov? She asked. Do you think they are the treasure in the end? No, Ludlov said. The head has turned west. I believe that's a clue. The search is not yet over. Do you mean there is still a treasure? Gustav said, his eyes widening. But what lies to the west from here? Tomgard wondered aloud. A beach? Alvarado suggested. I think we have to look further than that, Ludlov said. Beyond the sea, just like... All of a sudden, he knew where to go. His mouth fell open at the revelation in his mind. What is it? Do you know where to look? Chappelle asked. You were there with me, Chappelle, Ludlov said. Don't you remember? She looked at him, confused. He couldn't blame her. So many things had to be rushing through her mind concurrently. He was surprised she had even been present enough to ask him the question. Boneyard Bay, Ludlov clarified. The statue of Sintrasha. Five niches with spikes, just like here at the well. I think these cones will fit perfectly. Then he became aware of how everyone's eyes were on him. Boneyard Bay, Gustav gasped. Of course, Kulmaron's head is looking directly at Boneyard Bay. Rudolf shrugged. It seemed so obvious to him now. Well, it was always called the treasure of Boneyard Bay, wasn't it? He said. That means Federhel had no other option but to smash the ground. It was never a choice. He was right all along. Chappelle said melancholically. And if he hadn't, the head would never have turned, so it never have escaped from here. Gustav suddenly exclaimed in a loud voice. That young man saved us, he said more modestly. 
Gustav looked like he was struggling very hard to curb his excitement in the light of the tragic turn of events that had just played out, but he couldn't hide it. Ludlow felt no resentment at it. If anything, Gustav's bright spirit made Federhell's death more bearable. Federhell would have loved it, Alvarado mused. The journey, the questions, the battle. But he would have been a great help, Tungard added. You're right, Ludlow. We will take these five crown tips and bring them to Boneyard Bay for the last stage of our quests. Chapelle gathered the five cones, slid them into each other and placed them in the rectangular chest that Blessed Salenheim had found. The chest itself was stored in Gustav's huge backpack. It almost didn't fit, but then Gustav took out a blanket in which to wrap Federhel's body. He also considered throwing out the fake Sintrasha statuette, but somehow couldn't, even though the others couldn't think of a way it would still be of use to them. They also took their torches back from the sconces and made their way down the steps. Ludlov and Alvarado carried Federhel together, steadily and carefully, so as not to unwrap or drop the body. Every one of them preferred to be out in the dark, rain-drenched jungle rather than safe and dry inside Kulmarum's head. The thunderstorm was still going on as they emerged out of a round opening. In front of them began the western stairs, which ran straight down into the jungle far below. The steps were too high to simply walk down. They would have to drop down carefully from each step. Climbing up would have been impossible. Tumgard took the lead down with Chapelle close by his side, lending him her eyes whenever necessary. Turning back for one last look, they saw how they had just walked out of Kulmaron's mouth, which had opened with the placing of the five cones right onto the stairway of his right shoulder. In his mind, Ludlow revisited the moment when they had first set eyes on the temple and realized what an impressive sight this was. The trip down was more frightening than they had anticipated in the torrent of rain. There was a thin layer of moss growing on it making it even more slippery. On top of that, thunderstorms weren't exactly reassuring in these sorts of situations, especially not with a howling wind. After all they had experienced together, they wouldn't let themselves be deterred by any of this though, and the party made their way down the stairway, still carrying Federhel's body as well as their torches. Halfway down, however, those were doused by the rain. When they arrived down below in the jungle, they found the broken remains of what had once been a stone pathway, now overturned by roots and ages of disuse. They followed it as it slowly turned south. The storm had since died down, but once more they began to hear the sound of water. The river is ahead, Ludlow said. Not much later, they arrived at an ancient stone bridge, flanked by two enormous statues, guardians with crossed spears and heads that resembled those of serpents. The Iskar again, Ludlov muttered. It reminded him of Federhel. They crossed the bridge and found themselves surrounded by thick foliage once more. Eventually, 
The path faded, and Gustav was forced to take out his machete again. The sun rose quickly in the east, albeit hidden behind a grey curtain of clouds, but it was light enough to find their way through the jungle thicket. At last they found a clearing between the trees. It was a small, peaceful place, steeped in the sound of birds and insects, seemingly undisturbed since the dawn of time. It was a good place and time, to say their final farewells to Federhel. They couldn't inter him in the ground without a shovel, so they built a cairn of stones which they found lying near the foot of the mountain. The battle in the head had damaged and torn their clothes, and as a result, Ludlow believed they were not at all dressed for a funeral. Apparently the others were also aware of that, since he noticed how Chapelle and Alvarado were adjusting their uniforms. Tomgard humbly asked Gustav to refresh the bloodied bandage on his eye. It probably looked in worse shape than it was, but Ludlov couldn't help but cringe when Gustav removed the dark red soaked cloth. Then they all gathered in a semicircle. The sight of the can made Federhel's death suddenly very real and irreversible in Ludlov's mind, and it came as a shock to him. He wished he had known his fellow initiate better. The heavy rain had turned into a subtle drizzle, as if the weather itself wanted to pay tribute to their fallen friend. As Blessed Zelenheim made her prayers, his mind wandered to his time back in Seven Peaks. How many opportunities had there been to make friends with the good soul that had now departed? He had squandered them all, too busy mulling over the black sickle to pay attention to anything or anyone. He regretted it deeply. Alvarado spoke warmly of his friendship with the young man, the beautiful memories they had made together, and his final heroic stand. When it was Ludlov's turn to speak at the ceremony, he took a deep breath and collected his thoughts. I wish I had known Federhel better and longer, he said at last. He was the youngest among us, but perhaps the wisest. May the goddess welcome him in her realm. Then it was Chapelle's turn. She didn't speak, but instead lifted her voice in a gentle Goldorian dirge. Don't
The ceremony ended with Federhel's most important possessions being passed on to his friends. Alvarado received his rapier, and Ludlov was entrusted with his pistol. He noticed a small mark on the grip that he hadn't noticed before. Suddenly he was reminded of his own pistol that had had a cross-shaped scratch on the barrel and that now lay at the bottom of a basin full of deadly sharp spikes. Federhel had carried a single dagger, which went to Chapelle. Blessed Zelenheim gratefully accepted his prayer beads. Gustav got hold of his journal, and his maps, notebooks and compass were given to Turmgard. After Federhel's burial, Gustav was the only one to raise the question of whether they should have a ritual for von Baumeister as well. I mean, I saw the body. I can confirm that he's dead. That we should at least pray for his soul, said Blessed Zelenheim. I don't think it looks too good for him in the afterlife, Alvarado said bitterly. He died in pride and hatred. We do not know that, Alvarado, said the priestess. Perhaps in his final moments, the goddess granted him some chance to repent. Perhaps he took it. It is not for us to know, and we must never pass final judgment. That right belongs to her. Very well, Chappelle said. Her voice strained with emotion. Pray for him, blessed. And afterwards, let me confess to you for the sin of murder. The priestess performed a brief official rite in lingua, which was often used for those lost at sea or in some natural disaster. Afterwards, Chapelle went with her to the edge of the clearing, out of earshot of the men. The two women looked like they were having a hearty conversation. I don't think she murdered him, said Tomgard. He really would have killed us. If she hadn't shot precisely when she did, there would be at least one more grave there. Nevertheless, if Chapelle had murder in her heart, it is good for her soul to be cleansed of it. Dudlov replied. Why can't we hear the confession? Gustav said. You are all there. It's not exactly a secret. Because she needs to have a heart-to-heart, -heart, Alvarado said. Don't you understand that? 
I understand I need a heart-to-heart -heart with breakfast, Gustave said. I still have some provisions in my backpack. It's not much, but it will keep us going until we reach the Theresia. You must have cast a magic spell on that thing to make it bigger on the inside, or at least weigh a little less, Ludlow said, in an attempt to brighten up their spirits. What kind of food do you have left down there, exactly? Alvarado asked carefully, unable to hide his curiosity. Wait until the women return, said Tormgard. A few minutes later, Chapelle and Blessed Zelenheim returned to the group. Chapelle's eyes were red, and she looked drained, but she smiled. She took Tormgard's arm. Tormgard, you will have to become the leader of this operation now, she said. I don't outrank you, Chapelle, he replied. Neither of us has more authority than the other. My position in the Order has been compromised by my actions, Chapelle said. I don't think I would be able to remain a witch hunter. What will you do? Ludlow asked. When we return home, I mean. You can't take all the blame for von Baumeister's death. You might end up on the pyre for that. I know, Chapelle said. But none of you are guilty. I alone pulled the trigger. Then she shrugged. I will not lie to the Grand General. Or to anyone else. Then I will defend you to the end, Tongard said. You did nothing wrong. Chapelle smiled sadly, then suddenly hugged Tormgard tight. Afterwards, she looked at Ludlov, Alvarado and Gustav. Thank you all. Do we get a hug as well? Alvarado asked. I think it's more urgent for us to take a look at that ship now, Ludlov said. I don't think we should tarry any longer. Do you agree, Tormgard? I do, the witch hunter declared solemnly, as if in that moment he had truly accepted his leadership. Let's have breakfast on the way then, Gustav suggested. Thank you for listening to the ninth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, A Witch Hunter Tale. These are some of the score of people supporting us in many ways to keep creating these audio stories. Arnold Teva, Jalen Lewis, Caitlin Bredenkamp, Kat Mosseri, Osarion, Ryan Stock, Cody Heitch, Kadir Hussein, Mix and Match, Cameron Brantley, Joseph Stahl, Liam Gabriel, Tony Ranico, Peter Strandkrone, Amy Austin, and Matt Patain. Since I noticed Osarion fell off the list a couple of times, I'd like to give him an extra shout-out, as he's a very creative guy as well. He's got his own YouTube channel, where you will find the fun game Dex and Daggers. It's very easy to play and very atmospheric for an online card game. And you should check out their Kickstarter for Unsung Warriors, a 
another game that shows a lot of promise. We want to thank all of the people again who have joined our Patreon community during the past year and a half. You're awesome, and the only ones who can show off unique Audio Epics merchandise. Travel to patreon.com slash audioepicsonline if you consider supporting us, or if you're not interested in the extra content and merchandise, and just want to listen to the extended edition of the story that is almost an hour longer, you can purchase it on Bandcamp. If you feel like, pay us a visit on Discord to have a friendly chat. Both links are in the description or the pinned comments. We want to remind you that you can embed our YouTube videos on your social media, blog or website. Occasionally, with former stories, people downloaded the videos, edited them and re-uploaded them on their own channel. Of course, that is not something that we encourage, as we put a tremendous amount of work in them. We hope you'll return next week for episode 10, which will start with the chapter The Others. Instead of going out with a bang, I want to go out with a ding ding. So don't forget to subscribe to our channel and click the notification bell or activate the RSS feed on Podbean. In case you've missed it, we're running the trailer for Counterbalance again. That is a fantasy audio drama created by Blighthouse Studio. Domain plays a minor character in episode 5, and to support each other's creative work, we agree to swap trailers. So, as I bid you goodnight, you can listen to the trailer of Counterbalance. Bye bye! Hello, Aurel. Did you want Don't to listen in on me and Rock enjoying ourselves? Don't encourage Should him. I describe to you what we're doing um, right now? <laughs> What's going on? Let's see. Look, these wind shells document anything you do in order to banish the spirits. I don't banish spirits. I'm fixing the tango. Of course, we can't open a new hole into the Aetherweb every year. The spirits aren't always bad. Are Those they? are exactly the reason tangoes happened in the first Akasar, place. I'm sure Rocka knows how to get through a water gate without disrupting the magic belt. So what happens when there's a hole in the weave? Does magic <laughs> pour out? It is already broken! Let more of air into this world! I'll destroy Wait, no, every single no. one of them! You've had enough already! I will kill you, you filthy Whoa, little... whoa, whoa, Kanzanbaka! Try it, fellow jester! God, ferocious runemaster, your friction will grind the weaver twain! Yarta, in moments like these, I wish I could see the runes. What's wrong, Raka? Is that Tangleweave maybe too difficult even for someone as great as you? Counterbalance a high fantasy audio drama. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts from.